The urge to heal ourselves is a common desire, whether we frame it in terms of healing the mind, the body, or the spirit. Placebos do work to some degree. To be considered effective, a medicine needs to have a positive effect that is better than just the improvement of taking a placebo, a pill that just looks like medicine but contains none. That means that there is some action, some healing that happens just because we believe it will. How can we harness this placebo power and other tools for healing ourselves with mind power? And what has healing got to do with what we do here on Sunday mornings? Why is this a spiritual matter? I believe that all healing is about healing the spirit. For healing to happen, our body, mind, and spirit must all work together. Sometimes healing seems to relate only to the body, such as when we treat pain or infection with a medication. Sometimes it seems to relate to the mind, as in treating depression or, to the, or the emotions, and learning to cope better with the residual damage of psychological trauma through counseling. Sometimes we pray, meditate, or commune with nature or butterflies to heal our spirit. But ultimately, we must use all powers and methods available to us to heal in any way we can. When we meet here each Sunday, we say, love is the spirit of this church. What a powerful mantra. I believe that love heals while hate and fear injure the body, mind, and spirit. The year before I left Loudoun County was a terribly stressed and busy time for me. After years of indecision and frustration at living 750 miles away from my partner, Bill, I decided to fix up and sell my house, quit my job, and move to Murray, Kentucky to live with him. It was stressful, terrifying, and hopeful all at once. I loved my life here, my friends, my little house and fertile garden in Percival, and hardest of all to give up was my community here at UUCL, the loving spirit of this church, the sacrament of shared quest for truth, the warmth of community, and the fire of commitment. To stay connected and committed to returning and sharing with you here at UUCL my own spiritual journey, I told Ricky Keach, worship chair and friend, that I would return at spring break and do a sermon which would be titled, Have You Taken Your Placebo Today? The title started out as a joke, but the thing is that placebos do work, but you have to believe in them in order for them to work. And when I told my sister about this, she says, well, placebos don't work for me. Well, of course they don't. You don't believe them. But doesn't that belief have interesting parallels with the description of faith in the spiritual tradition of all the major religions. You have to believe in them for them to work. I was a bit of a physical wreck as I prepared for my move, suffering from adrenal exhaustion, a sleep disorder, rapid heartbeat. I was desperate for a little healing. And I was looking for ways to remind myself that self-healing, to some degree, was in my power. I just needed to believe in it. So it became a bit of a mantra. Every time I found myself complaining or brooding about how physically punishing my life and this change I was making had become, I reminded myself to take my placebo. 
I think I may have reminded Bill rather often enough that it was annoying, too. Uh, I survived the stress of this big change to my life last summer without too much long-term damage. And sure enough, once I was settled in Kentucky and enjoyed the lower stress lifestyle of not having to get up and go to work every morning, my health improved dramatically. But I still need to remind myself to take my placebo. The process of aging does not reverse itself just because my stress is less. And in fact, the hardest part about writing this sermon turned out to be that I'm still struggling to make it work. Some of the stress-related issues that I was dealing with then are gone, but they've been replaced by new medical issues. So what exactly do I need to believe and to do in order to be healthier? As I thought about this sermon idea and the healing power of the mind, I realized that I have written a sermon about this before. The first sermon I delivered in this pulpit 12 years ago was called Healing Happens, and it was about some understanding I had gained from Carolyn Mice's book, The Anatomy of the Spirit, The Seven Stages of Power and Healing. Dr. Mice is a practitioner of holistic, intuitive medicine, and the anatomy of the spirit focuses on the chakras, uh, what she calls our spiritual anatomy. Uh, these are, in Hindu and Eastern uh, religious traditions, the chakras are seven channels of power that line up in little energetic balls along our spot, our spine, ending at the top of our head. Um, it's, they're supposed to be the channels that the, in the subtle body through which energy flows through us, but if that sounds too mystical and woo-woo for you, think of it as your electromagnetic field, and in fact, it does mirror what we know when we measure the electromagnetic field of the body. What struck me then so strongly was that Mice draws convincing parallels between the ideas of the chakras and the basic religious principles and rituals of our Judeo-Christian heritage. It's a long story and another sermon that I wrote before, but what I took from it was that in order to heal body, mind, and spirit, we need to live and act according to the moral precepts that we have absorbed from our cultural and religious heritage. Coming from a place of love, charity, and forgiveness, living the golden rule, as it were, is important to our emotional and spiritual health. And we can't be physically healthy without emotional and spiritual health, at least not for long. This does bring me to an important caveat. Sometimes the only healing that is available is a spiritual acceptance of the reality of our mortality. Not all illnesses can be cured. Not all pain can be lessened. Life is not a curable disease, as we all will die in the end. Sometimes... Miraculous healings do occur. Other times, the healing that occurs in a person diagnosed with terminal disease, for instance, is healed only in the sense that they are able to come to terms with their illness and find a peace with it. People who have serious diseases such as cancer, heart disease, diabetes, mental illness are not to blame for not healing themselves. Instead, they need our love and support to help them deal with their lives as best they can. I get particularly upset when people who suffer from serious depression or other 
serious mental illness, are blamed for not just snapping out of it and thinking positive. Um, I like to believe that life is what we make of it uh, and that I must choose not to be stressed, irritable, and depressed and choose instead to fill my life with joy, love, and enjoyment of each possible moment. But that does not mean everyone has the opportunity or tools to make those choices. It doesn't mean, in fact, that I can make that choice every time or even most of the time. As people who try to live life lovingly, we cannot blame others or ourselves from being unable to choose to be positive, to believe that placebo. But we do need to try to do everything we can to make loving changes in ourselves and to help each other uh, in full acceptance of each other's failings and diseases. Let there be no blame, no stigma, no anger directed at people who cannot seem to find healing and peace. Love is the spirit of this church. And yet, there is progress to be gained from using the power of the mind to heal the body. In that opening reading from Bill Moyers, he talked about Dr. David Spiegel, who was surprised to find that his metastatic breast cancer patients who participated in a group therapy support group not only reported enhanced quality of life, less anxiety and pain, but also lived longer than the control group who got the exact same medical regime. Moyers writes, In gaining a sense of control over our medical treatments, in making conscious choices about how we spend our lives, and allowing others into our suffering, we are releasing innate healing capacities that make us nature's allies in our own recovery. The reference to group therapy as a means of helping people with um, with terminal illness leads me to another application. Group therapy as a means of helping people with emotional wounds. The action is probably similar. Sharing support and understanding with others, other human beings with emotional wounds in a non-judgmental setting can help us heal from the wounds of childhood trauma and take actual steps to change our behavior or at least our reaction to our lives. If group sessions can help heal our physical and emotional bodies, what about our spiritual bodies? Could that be part of what we do in worship? A dear wise friend of mine says that we come to church to heal our spiritual wounds. Love is the spirit of this church. So what are a few of the specific techniques we can use to harness the placebo effect and heal ourselves? to heal with our minds. The placebo effect based on the faith or belief that something will work, but the trick is to believe in something that you can actually practice, whether it's a two-minute spot meditation, as we did in the reflection time, whether it's an expensive vitamin mineral complex or a homeopathic remedy, whether it is drinking more water, which, by the way, I think we all need to do anyway, Uh, It needs to be something you can believe in and practice regularly. If you make it too hard, it won't work. It may have a negative effect because you think you're not doing what you need to do. Next, whether you call it meditation or prayer, a period of intentional, mindful centering and breathing. 
taking time to turn inward, to be calm and centered, is considered crucial by just about every source I could find about healing with mind power. Likewise, practicing mindfulness and gratitude serves to focus our brains and reorient our chemistry to feel healthier and happier. Conscious breathing helps, too, for all the same reasons that medication works, but also because flooding your body with a little extra oxygen can help a lot. In the rapidly expanding body of knowledge about brain chemistry, there's growing understanding of how meditation works to actually change the physical brain. There is evidence that the real physical changes take place in our brains, which are manifested in heightened compassion, more clarity in perceiving one's place in the world, enhanced sense of calm and centeredness. Blood pressure is actually reduced. Heartbeat is stabilized. There's even evidence that meditation can reduce blood sugar. In an article by Bridget Schultz in the Washington Post in 2015, she reports that Harvard neuroscientist Sarah Lazar, quote, found that long-term meditators have an increased amount of gray matter in the insula and sensory regions, the auditory and sensory cortex, which makes sense. When you're mindful, you're paying attention to your breathing, to sounds, to the present moment experience and shutting cognition down. It stands to reason your senses would be enhanced, end quote. This may also explain how a practice of gratitude can improve your attitude and your brain by focusing on those things for which you are grateful instead of those about which you are unhappy and anxious. You build up the muscle, the gray matter in the brain that you want to use instead of reinforcing your fears. Carolyn Mice, who wrote The Anatomy of the Spirit, outlined the chakras, the centers of energy in the body, and she suggests that to heal, we should look at where our power is blocked and unblock it. Well, that sounds pretty woo-woo, doesn't it? Uh, Many years ago, in a woman's spirit group in this very sanctuary, we had a woman who was experienced in penduling, that's using a pendulum and which way it turns to see how the chakras were open or closed, blocked or not. Uh, When she did mine, she found a blockage in this chakra, the throat chakra, the one that relates to speaking up and self-expression. She said, maybe you have trouble expressing yourself or feel that you are not heard. I nodded as if I understood But privately, I thought she was full of hooey. I've never had much trouble speaking up. Maybe more trouble knowing when to shut up. But I came to realize that the diagnosis was more metaphoric than that. Shortly after that, I got involved in music again, singing in the choir, singing with Bill, and I got interested in writing sermons. Both of those activities might relate to unblocking that chakra. Another form of healing with mind power is faith healing. A good friend of mine once witnessed a Christian science healing, which was a miracle, as he described it. And I've always been intrigued. I don't don't really have too much time to go into this. Uh, But the Church of Christ scientist was founded by Mary Baker Eddy in 1879 
she described Christian science as a return to primitive Christianity and its lost element of healing. Isn't that interesting? Adherents believe that reality is purely spiritual and the material world an illusion. That sounds a little Buddhist, doesn't it? Disease is thus a mental error, and the sick should be treated not by medicine, but by a form of prayer. Of course, that whole vaccination denial thing makes me very uneasy, but this is very interesting. And by the way, Christian science is another religion which grew in Boston as an offshoot of Christianity, uh, which uh, was not, is no longer considered true Christianity. It sort of reminds me of the Unitarians in that way. Finally, the Time for All Ages story and the opening words from Rachel Carson refer to a source of health and healing that is very important to me personally, the healing power of time spent outdoors in nature. I was lucky enough to grow up with parents who themselves felt renewed and empowered from spending time outside, who cherished natural beauty. A growing body of research shows that people who live in rural areas have a lower incidence of anxiety, depression, and other mental illness than those in urban areas. Within the population who live in urban areas, those who live near green spaces and parks or who visit natural environments frequently have lower levels of stress hormones than urban dwellers who do not do those things. Of course, the access to nature may not explain that uh, because the access may also be keyed to economic opportunities or even exercise, which is something different. So a Stanford University researcher named Gregory Bratman set out to see if it was just the walk in the park that makes a difference in our moods and brains. He had two match sets of volunteers. One group walked through a lush green portion of the campus for a brief time, the other group walked through the same, for the same period of time alongside heavy traffic. The group that walked in nature were more attentive and happier than those who walked beside traffic, as measured by before and after questionnaires. Now that was a little too um, loose for him, so he followed through with a second study which used brain imaging to track the activity of a part of the prefrontal cortex associated with brooding, also known as morbid rumination, a kind of fretting that is neither healthy nor helpful. (coughs) Using brain imaging technology, this study found a decrease in the kind of brain activity that characterizes brooding within a group of healthy adult city dwellers after a walk in the park, as opposed to a walk alongside a busy street. When I was young and first interested in natural healing, yoga, and meditation, I was attracted to the idea of healing by a kind of meditation and breathing that intentionally focuses white light on the subject or on oneself. The idea is that by focusing our energy, we can actually direct healing energy. It sounded like a great tool. All you need is a brain. Uh, But in practice, it requires a high level of concentration, and it seemed to work for me only rarely, if at all. I long thought that regular access to biofeedback might help help me make that work. Um, 
as in fact, biofeedback is another way of learning what works to heal ourselves and harnessing the body's own healing power. Regardless of my successes and failures using white light to heal, when singer, songwriter, and breast cancer survival survivor Rachel Bissex performed for the Shenandoah Coffee House, singing a song she had written for her son who was serving in Afghanistan called In White Light. Immediately and intuitively, I felt it to be a song of great power and beauty. This is the song we sang at the prelude this morning. Brenda, Barbara, Carol, and I sang this song on another Sunday morning as a prelude. A year or so after Rachel Bissex had first sung it here at this coffee house. When I contacted Rachel and asked her for permission to sing it in church and for the guitar chords, I found out that her cancer had returned, metastasized. On that moment, when we sang it in church, this little chapel reverberated softly with love and white light. We found out later that Rachel Bissex had died in Vermont, surrounded by her family, that very morning, as we sang her song. It's time to go, the lyrics say. I hope you know. Moon will see you safely home, in white light, in white light. Oh, ye skeptics among us, there are mysteries and miracles, and healing does happen. It does indeed have to do with the spiritual. Love is the spirit of this church. I do struggle with healing myself. Boy, do I struggle. I solve one medical mystery about my physical body and confronted with another. But I've come to realize that healing is a process, not a one-time result. Bob Dylan said, he not busy being born is busy dying. I would paraphrase that to say, he not busy being healed is busy getting sicker. Love is the spirit of this church. Amen and blessed be.